Hello, and welcome to the Yoga of Resilience podcast presented by Vera Bhava Yoga. I'm your host, Kelly Golden, here to guide you in an exploration of yoga and its relationship to resilience. I'm a writer, yoga teacher, dedicated practitioner, and exhaustive thinker. And I've been practicing and studying yoga since 1995 and teaching since 2003. This podcast follows my exploration of Sri Vidya Tantra and its direct application to our lives in all situations on and off the mat. Through contemplation, conversation, wandering, and experience, we unpack the ways in which resilience is synonymous with the path and practice of yoga and the ways that both practices support us in showing up whole and alive in the midst of hardship and challenge. Most of these conversations were recorded live with current Virabhava Yoga students, and you can find yoga asana practices affiliated with each episode on our website, virabhavayoga.com. These practices and conversations are guideposts on the path to living a resilient life. If you would like to explore with us more deeply, check out our programs at virabhavayoga.com and practice with our teachers online and in your area. Hi, yogis. In this episode, I get personal in my talk about how the highs and lows and ups and downs of life are how we learn how to be buoyant. We talk about meeting the truth where it's at rather than trying to change and control our circumstances to give us what we want to feel good as a yoga practice. We review our willingness to meet the hard stuff without denying the beauty and wrestle with the process of unraveling our attachment to things being only one way. I hope that this episode challenges you to feel, to open, and even to be a little broken. But most of all, I hope it resonates with you. Enjoy. Um, So the book that's coming out, in the future that's what i've got that's my release date the future um is about resilience you know and true to the nature of my life and practice um i rarely have been given an opportunity to wax on something that i don't then immediately have to put into direct application um i am not an academic i have a tendency not to sit in dark rooms and read books and ponder over theories. Instead, I am a practitioner and an experimenter, so I have a tendency to, um, you know, find something about this practice that's inspiring or be turned on to something by someone else that's inspiring, and then I go explore how I can engage directly with it. Um, It is that direct engagement that most often leads to the content that we share with you because, um, because we're not academics, you know, because we're not interested in the theory so much. Um, one of the ways that we do things here at Virabhava is it's only as impactful as it is meaningful. So if you can't bring, uh, the teachings into direct impact in your life, it doesn't have much meaning for you. Right. And I was just talking to a private client earlier this week about uh, 
the eight limbs of Ashtanga yoga and the, the yamas and the niyamas and the, and the rest of the limbs and how challenging they are because it's not always easy to make those things impactful and meaningful in your life um, as opposed to just a, a list of rules to follow and constantly and consistently fail at, right? Uh, and it's that failing piece uh, that I believe that Tantra just wholeheartedly doesn't align with. You know, um, I, the challenge I used to put out to my 200-hour students was I dare you to be uh, at once nonviolent and truthful at the same time on things where it's hard, right? So the example I would give is, um, you know, uh, partners, lovers, uh, standing in the same room and one of them walks in and says, do I look fat in this? And then the other one has to both answer from ahimsa and satya. And then all of a sudden you're in a terrible tangle, uh, a tug of war uh, between should I be honest or should I be nonviolent, right? Should I be caring and how do I do this, right? And, and you can play this game with all of the yamas and the niyamas. Right? Can you be, uh, right, brahmacharya, we don't do that really here in Tantra. Uh, but can you be at once celibate and uh, joyful, right? Content. Um, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting structure that we're really familiar with, and that's why we like it, and that's why it's taught so much, is because it's really familiar. We know how to follow the rules. We know the Ten Commandments. We know how to, to do what we're told. And so that structure uh, within the context of the Yoga Sutra is just another way that we can follow the rules and feel like we know what we're doing. To not have any rules to follow is a really interesting path to walk. And it's definitely way more of the tantric path. That we're not going to tell you exactly how to do a thing. Or we're not going to tell you exactly when to do a thing. We're not going to give you feedback that it's right or it's wrong. We're just going to ask you or invite you. I'm going to be asked and invited to constantly observe and inquire and explore and experiment. Right? So um, in the sense of resilience, when we talk about buoyancy... In my mind, I always see a buoy in the water, right? So resilience as buoyancy is the recognition, even the necessity of going down and recognizing that down isn't a, a singular or dichotomized place to be, that always you come back up and then there's this constant fluctuation and movement of where you are when it feels hopeless and where you are when it feels hopeful, right? There's a whole chapter uh, in, in the book called, uh, I think it's, I'll have to look it up. It's called The Fallacy of Hope, I think. Um, and, and the idea of resilience is that hope isn't this place, isn't this experience where we land and the buoy always being high on top of the water. There, hope isn't something that we reach for where the storms cease to exist, um, where the gales just stop, 
right? That hope is the thing that helps us remember that when we drop low, that there is still a high, even if we can't see it. And when we're really, really high, there's always going to be a low, and that's okay, right? So buoyancy as resilience is, first of all, I want to say really hard. When's the last time that your life was going absolutely perfectly and you were super excited about its crash and burn? When's the last time you were super psyched about how everything was going and at the same time you're like, and I know this is all going to fall apart. Yay. Right? Like we don't celebrate that stuff. When you finally get to walk the path of ease, rarely do we look forward to the challenges and the difficulties that are inevitably in front of us. Right? Um, Instead, perhaps what we do is we... um, focus just on the feeling good so that we can almost as a way to avoid the inevitable uh, difficulty that is to lie ahead of us. Um, I told it, I tell back when I used to teach the 200s and it's been a while, we have some amazing uh, people that teach the 200 hours now way, way better than I do quite honestly. Um, But a long time ago when I used to teach those 200 hour programs, I used to tell everybody in the very first uh, few days of training that I promise you it, it, this training is not going to be easy, but it is going to be worth it, right? And I, I hope, if I haven't said it in the 300, I hope I, I say it there as well. Um, if, you're, if you're truly on the path of yoga, it's not an easy path. It's not something that lays itself out it's not I mean it might be a slip and slide but if it's a slip and slide it's probably covered in like gorilla glue you know you get a really strong running start and you get to slide for just a second and then you're stuck with yellow plastic all over you right the path of yoga is hard and absolutely beautiful Right? You guys know this. It's why you're here. It's why you keep showing up to listen to me rant. I'm not selling you into this. I'm just reminding you of what you already know. Right? So, recognizing that the path of yoga, you know, I have, I have several teachers that say, it's what we do until we remember it's who we are. And so, if it's true that the path of yoga is hard... And at the same time, exceedingly beautiful, overwhelmingly joyful at times, then it's important to remember that that too uh, applies to life in general. Right? Um, As to be expected, once we announced our uh, sabbatical from training and the reasons why, I received an amazingly overwhelming amount of. correspondence and and reply of support and condolence and uh, all this beautiful feedback and I'm I'm so deeply appreciative of that and um a couple of of uh desires for hope I hope everything turns out okay right and in the buoyancy of our existence I want to reflect that um death is okay 
dying and ending this time is, it's not only okay, but it's necessary. So I find that the desire for our challenges to be softened is something that we hold, but maybe it's not something that's accessible to us. So, of course, as I write a book on resilience, the universe gives me the opportunity to put it into direct practice. Can we be resilient in the face of loss? Can we be resilient in the face of difficulty? Um, What does that look like to be buoyant? So I've been thinking a lot about that. What does it look like to be buoyant in this kind of space? And what I'm coming up to sort of quite clearly and perhaps more than any other understanding is that being buoyant is the willingness, the willingness, the itcha shakti, if you know the powers of shakti, the itcha shakti to go down to meet the truth where it's at. Right? If the truth is hard then to be buoyant, we're willing to go to the hard spaces and meet it as opposed to try to um, change or decipher the truth in such a way that it rises up to meet us in a place where we feel good. Right? Buoyancy is this sense of, of landing and rebounding. Right, so if you've ever heard uh, Bonnie Bainbridge, Bainbridge Cohen speak, she's a, a body movement practitioner, a, a, a dancer, lifetime dancer. Um, she moved into the yoga arts for a while, um, but she has this this expression of of all all asana should have this um, this anchor and rebound, right? And if you think about how your breath moves. Right? If you're breathing really well, if you're breathing from a place of vitality and not locked in a place of protection, then, then your diaphragm is a, is a rebounding muscle. Right? You inhale, it contracts. The nature of the, the widening in your diaphragm is a contraction. And then you exhale and it releases and rebounds back to the contraction because your lungs are not muscles. They don't do that kind of work. And so what does it look like to have that buoyancy or that foundation, that landing and rebounding all the time in our lives? It means that we're willing to go into the hard stuff where the hard stuff is at and to come up out of the hard stuff and see that all the time, even when things are hard, things are still amazing and beautiful and full of flavor and life. We really, as, as humans, I don't know if this is true for the whole human race, uh, but as humans in the dominant culture of North America, we're really, really into like getting really stuck in the one place. Getting really anchored down into our pain or our difficulty or our hardship or our anxiety or our overwhelm or in our love and our light and our beauty and everything's great and everything's wonderful and there you can't do anything wrong and we're all one, right? Uh, as, and maybe this is a human nature thing. Maybe it's just a, a Western culture thing, but we really like the one place. 
and our signals get scrambled when we have to hold the idea or the willingness to see that that beauty and love and light coexist with all of that challenge. Right? So even when, even when it's hard to see uh, the light in your life, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Right? Even when it's hard to see the, the heaviness and the difficulty, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And so what Tantra does is it invites you into the willingness to see as many perspectives in a story as you can hold, as you have the capacity to hold in any given moment. And what I'm finding in that, it's been a great way to live my life up to now. I'm, I'm right on the cusp of 44 years on the planet. <clears throat> and it's been really awesome and amazing to uh, pursue this path of, of recognition um, and, and forgetting and remembering, as someone said in our last month's call, um, up till now. And then it got really real. And then the question comes, can, can you continue to see the light from, from the shadowy places um, or the scary places or the difficult places when, when you're down in the shadowy, difficult places? Or can you continue to acknowledge the difficulty when life is really good? Right? Breaking up with our dependency on things to be one way or the other is just like any other breakup. It's a process. Um, even if, even if you get a dear John letter or a dear Jane letter or a dear Joe letter and never see the person that you love ever again, it's still a process. Right. And, and breaking up with a necessity with, with the false necessity, with the fallacy that things are always one way or the other is a process. And that process looks like this, this ride of the buoy on, on the ocean. Right? That process of breaking up with dichotomy looks like sinking really low sometimes. Expressing your l- low experiences fear or anger or frustration or overwhelm or anxiety or all of that. But also getting really high sometimes and, and being overjoyed by the gift of life and, uh, you know, overwhelmed in a beautiful way when you walk down the street and see that the dandelions can poke through the cracks. That's how vibrant and vital and strong and amazing that life is. To just continue on and on and on and on. So it's a process of going from high to low. And then trying your best to pay attention in the spaces of transition. Right? We love and we see it in our asana practice all the time. I used to teach vinyasa years ago, 10 10 years ago. I guess it's arguable that what I teach now is vinyasa. But I think if you came, if you were... A vinyasa practitioner and you came to one of my classes, uh, you'd, be, you'd be willing to argue that it's not vinyasa. But 10 years ago when I taught vinyasa, it was about how many asanas can I get into uh, an hour and a half class? 
and how fast can we move through them and how well choreographed can they be and how much can I make this um, pop with my soundtrack and you know um, I did that I played that game and it was great fun and we all had an amazing time but there wasn't much um, awareness of the transitions right and on a really practical level um, most of the injury in an asana class happens not in the pose itself, but in the transitions between the poses. But man, we're in such a rush to get from one place to another to achieve the, the forms that we don't really like the idea of slowing down and paying attention to how we get there, right? Or having a skill set for movement from one place to another. So all of your, I feel like all the good 200 hour trainings in the planet are telling us the transitions are important. Um, ours is just one of those saying that, but what does it look like to actually inhabit transition? We don't often get that invitation, right? When's the last time you got a call on your phone or an email or a text or a snap I don't know, kids these days. And you actually took the time to observe what happened in your body from the moment your phone spoke to you until the moment you grabbed onto the communication. Until you hit accept or until you opened the message. When's the last time we were able to slow down enough? to fully inhabit the transitions. And so we play with this on our mat. We're going to play with this today. We play with it on our mat because we, we perceive that it will train us to play with it in our lives. But I want to say it's probably not really working that way. And then COVID happened. And we all slowed down. Even if we didn't change our lives drastically, even if for all intents and purposes, it looked the same. There was a collective slowing of our awareness and paying attention to things that were maybe never paid attention to before. And so are we going to be able to stay buoyant as we move back into what we perceive used to be, but never will be again? Can we stay attuned and aware to that transition of the space between being really low and being really high? Of being all alone and being all together. Right? Of being super quiet, being super loud, of being super sad and super joyful. Can we stay aware of the span, the space and time that exists between the two points? That's the nature of Tantra. And it is ripe with tension. Um, I have a teacher, he's more of a philosopher than a yogi, although he's 100% yogi, he'd never call himself that, uh, that talks about thick time. How the past is never in the past and the future is never in the future. We're, it's all here right now. Right? And if we can inhabit the transition, we can be in it all right now. And that's the challenge, I think. That's the tension 
We just want the past to go away or be the past. And we just want the future to be what's ahead, something that we can focus on. It's hard for us to palette being in it all right now. But I do believe, and I'm witnessing, I'm having the, the, um, the gift of witnessing the truth of that. Like the dark and dirty truth that no matter what, it's all right here, right now. And that is all that really is. Yeah. So how do we live in the truth of what is in that space of transition and tension without the requirement of landing in the top or the bottom? Right. The ocean never stops rocking. That buoy is way more, it's spending way more time transitioning from low to high than it is in the space of low or in the space of high. So how do we live in that truth? You know, I talked a lot during COVID that, uh, during COVID, that's, that's even a funny thing to say, as if it's done. Um... During lockdown, that's what a friend told me yesterday. Don't call it COVID, call it lockdown. Uh, during lockdown, we talked a lot about uncertainty, like the fallacy of, of certainty. And how for so long we've just tried to reach these plateaus of certainty. I'll have this much money so I can be uh, secure and I'll have this much. Uh, I'll have these, these relationships so I'll be secure. And that what we learned in that space of, uh, of time is that security uh, isn't real. And what I want to offer is like, hey, y'all, it's never been real. So what do you do if that's true? How do you show up into that space if living in the truth means that you have to shatter the beliefs that make you feel really safe? Most people would prefer not to do that work. Most people would just prefer to feel safe. <laughs> Most people would just prefer to feel secure and feel like they have everything figured out and that they know A, B, C, and D. But then um, there'll come a point for all of us when that structure of security and certainty fails us. It's inevitable. And then how do we show up for that? You know, Tantra is an invitation to practice showing up for the absence of security. Showing up for the shakti of insecurity and seeing the power in uncertainty. Right? It's super hard to do. I imagine the hardest thing for all of us, because when we show up in that place, what that looks like is um, all of our goals and ambitions and achievements start to feel a little silly. Everything we dedicate our life to starts to be worthy of scrutiny. Most people don't like that. You guys do. I know, I know most of you pretty well. You're fine with it. But out there, you know, they don't like that. So what do you do? The first thing you do is you recognize that it's really hard. It's going to be super hard to show up to truth as it is, where it is, rather than try to take truth by the throat and drag it to where you want it to be. 
Right. It's also important to remember that there's probably 7 billion different versions of what is true. And so if the tendency is to try to drag other people's truths into your perception of it, that's equally challenging. Right. So how do we show up in the place of truth where it is? And then let down our guard. So, you know, my, my, as always, there's a challenge in everything I say. My partner is so sick of them. He's like, can we just have a conversation without it being a provocation for some sort of challenge? And I say, no. Right? What do you want to watch for TV tonight? I don't know. How are you feeling in your heart? Right? Um, the challenge is, are we willing you know, whatever, Brene Brown's got the, got the market cornered on this one, but are we willing to be vulnerable enough to show up for what's true? Is vulnerability the key to being terribly alive? And what does it take to recognize that our lows are transient just as much as our highs are? And maybe even our belief systems are not security. Are we willing to be that vulnerable, that honest? I don't know. What I do know is if, we, if that's where we want to go, we have to learn how to feel what's true. We have to start moving out of this space of having it all figured out and into the space of feeling intelligence. Right? So our brains are super good you guys know this. They're super good at mapping out um, our personal achievements and goals and beating us up for our imperfections, but they're really, really bad at living in the reality of what is. Our brains are so attuned to crafting a story that supports a vision of who we want to be in the world that it it's really underdeveloped in the ability to just be with what is. Um, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, then sit really close to somebody that you love while they cry. And watch how our brains want to fix their pain so that our bodies don't have to feel it. Right? Because if our brains fall asleep or, or uh, get behind on their job, our bodies will feel the aliveness of 
emotion, of experience, of the lows and the highs. So if we want to dare to be vulnerable enough to be terribly alive, we have to learn to feel. Is your asana, or however you're choosing to practice your yoga, I don't want to make uh, the assumption that we're all choosing to practice asana as our yoga. But if you are, is your asana allowing you the space to feel your feelings? If you're doing that super fast vinyasa, if you're needing to move incessantly, if you can't sit still, if you can't find that space of quiet, I want to challenge you and say, maybe it's not. Maybe your asana or however you're choosing to practice your yoga is a way that we're entrenching ourselves in distraction as opposed to learning how to feel, learning how to access the intelligence that's not our brains, the intelligence that is the gateway to being vulnerable, the intelligence that allows us to live our terribly alive experiences. In order to feel, we have to have space. Again, something that lockdown gifted us, maybe unexpectedly, maybe against our wishes. Um, I had several private clients that during the lockdown period went off their anti-anxiety medication. WTF, y'all. Like, here we are in the midst of a global pandemic and this, my clients don't need to take their medication to control their emotion Wow. Do you know why? Because there was room to breathe. We had collectively ex- escaped from the necessity of our, our fallacy, our, our illusion, our myth of achievement. For just a minute. And so now as things are, are starting to amp up again, I'm, I'm asking myself a lot, like, how do I stay in that slow feeling space in this world that seems to want anything but it, right? And I would, I would encourage, I mean, there's so much out there about this. I feel like I'm just echoing things you probably read 12 times already today on Facebook. But it's worthy of saying again, like, There's value in being bored. There's value in not distracting yourself from discomfort, from not trying to fix uh, what you perceive to be broken. There's value for just showing up in silence with all of your shit. You need space to do that, and you need time. So perhaps we start to think about time differently. I just read an amazing article a friend sent to me 
Um, maybe I'll, I'll try to find it and, and share it on the Facebook page, but it was about how time is the great colonizer. Right? Time, calendar time and clock time used to be really individual to your community. How it was measured and how it was experienced used to be really um, unique to how you were uh, raised culturally and where you were. Um, and then we colonize time so that we're all running out of it. Before, we used to just be in it. Right? So what is the buoyancy of your time? Most of our discomforts in our lives these days have to do with time. And watch, it's all going to happen to all of us. I'm not, I'm not trying to um, centralize my personal experiences just where I am. But like, we will all run out of it. And when we do, it makes the chasing it a little bit absurd. We've been in time all the time. And we're all going to come to an end with it. We're all going to run out of it. So how are we showing up in the time that we're given? Do we give ourselves space? Do we value um, our moments? Or do we try to fill them or distract them? Yeah. So, how much time do we waste? How much life do we miss trying to protect ourselves from the inevitable end of it? I think about that a lot and how to be buoyant. And I, just so you know, I traversed this path of questions way before I have it right up close to me. Because I think that when we learn the importance of our limited nature, uh, we start to get really close to what matters. And we don't have the same motivations that we do when we don't like to think about the end of our experiences. Right? And that shift of perspective can happen anytime. The sooner it happens, the more terribly alive you'll be because you'll be showing up to truth wherever it's at as often as you can. Right? So, dare to feel. Uh, really feel what's beneath the details of your story. Um, your stance taking, your belief system. What is it like if you really want to know yourself, if you really want to be in the space of yoga, you, you learn to feel beneath your story. Right? That's um, self-accountability in a nutshell. Know where what you are enacting in your life is coming from. And be curious about it. Yeah. Um, 
absolute self-accountability doesn't mean that the world doesn't happen to you. It just means that you know where you are when it does. You know how you are. You know where your reactions and responses are coming from and why. Yeah. Um, and then I guess my, my final thing, and maybe we'll play with this in asana a little bit, is can you dare to be broken? Man, people hate that. Um, I'm getting older. I'm guessing you are too. We're all running in the same space-time continuum, so... I can't get older unless you're also getting older. Um, our bodies change. You know, if we, were, if we were super athletic and strong in our 20s and 30s and then we hit our 40s and 50s, all of a sudden our super athletic, strong bodies start to break down on us. We wake up in the mornings and we hurt, Right? The elasticity of our connective tissue starts to fail us. Things change. Can we dare to be broken? The more, the, if you're blessed with a long life, you might have your heart broken dozens of times. You might have your hopes dashed. You might have your goals lost. You might fail and be disappointed. If, it, if you're living a good life, all of that will be true for you. But rather than rushing past the moments of our brokenness in an effort to fix them or clean them up or perfect them or protect ourselves from our pain, can we dare to just be broken? If we can learn to stop fixing the pain, then it might make hard things uh, more digestible. Because we're not going to be in a painless place ever. Sure, there's a spectrum. But life is fraught with challenge. It is what makes it fun and exciting to live. So how can we, in our moments now, dare to feel those imperfections, those absences of uh, clean endings, right? Um, I do think it's a practice that we carry forward to the end. I used to tell people that I had a death moment practice. I, I still do. I wake up every day and I repeat uh, the five worldviews of uh, Sri Shankaracharya. Some of you guys may know them. Before I ever get out of bed, right? The world is beautiful because it is a manifestation of the most beautiful one. Life is a gift. We're all part of the divine. All of us, every single one of us, even the ones you don't like. The world is an endless ocean of ambrosia and our bodies are just islands. And the very best one, everything is just waves rising and falling 
neither inauspicious nor meaningful. We're all just buoys on the water, y'all. So how do we learn to be in that space? That is the Tantra. That is the invitation. That is the life we've been invited into should we choose to accept it. If we do, we're going to be scary to the man. (laughs) We're going to be threatening to the systems that say, follow the rules, get it all right. We're going to be empowered and responsible and engaged. And maybe at the very highest level, we're going to be in service to something bigger. And that's what it's all about. hope you enjoyed listening. If you would like to access the asana practices affiliated with each episode, please check out our webpage www.virabhavayoga.com backslash podcast and take advantage of our online classes, programming, and apparel by using the discount code podcast2021, all uppercase letters, to save 20% off everything on our website. That discount code is PODCAST2021, all uppercase. Thanks for listening.